0: Hello, dear listeners, and welcome back to Through the Wind Door, with our final episode on Arlington. As mentioned at the end of the last episode, this is a special spoiler episode. It's going to be a long time before the greater stories of Seth and Mr. White will be gotten into as a part of our retrospectives. So, Toby and I agreed to discuss these two characters a little further, so that we could expand on the myriad thoughts we had about them in this story. For anyone that has not read past Arlington, you should definitely skip this episode to avoid spoilers. For the rest of you, it depends entirely on how far you have read. Our first topic is going to be Mr. White, which will include elements all the way through the end of Stonespring Maidens. This is going to be coming out around the time of the final chapters of the audio drama, so if you did not read the book... Make sure that you have listened through chapter 29 of the audio drama, released a few days ago at time of this episode's release, in order to avoid being spoiled by anything we get into. With that said, let's get into it, shall we? Wish i instead of
1: a zombie my face, shelf for- Gotten with its memories, tires left with crowds of trees and you don't need to bother. I don't.
0: Obviously, we're going to talk more about Mr. White as he shows up in these individual books. Mm -hmm. But this is a reflection on Mr. White specifically based on the information, the pieces of information from all those stories and questions that I wanted to ask based on how White is depicted at the end of Arlington. One of the long-running jokes slash conversations is that Alex basically had it in his mind that it could have been argued that truth could have been the one behind the mask instead of Thomas, Mm. and that he set parts of the narrative up so that it could have been revealed that it was truth, And it would have made sense to a certain extent because truth and white are never in the same room together. But based Mm. on all of the things that we have discussed so far in Arlington by itself, I basically comprised an entire list of all the little crumbs that specifically led me at least, and possibly you as well, among others to be like wondering at the end of Arlington is Thomas Mr. White? Mm. and he's certain at the end of Steamheart that he was Mr. White? First of all, on the list being that the assassination attempt and the chaos that ensued hints at Sarah not having worn her armor for some reason, and this of course gets confirmed in an aside with Sarah during Steamheart. so. Mm. We can see but like, oh, so because she wasn't wearing an armor, it would actually be very easy to kill her should someone want to. But based on characterization, we can't imagine Thomas going without his armor. So Well
2: he even says it's all right with wearing yeah. armor. And yeah, that's exactly. uh, that that uh, the others say
0: no yeah, she exactly. isn't. Yeah. But the way that the end of the chapter depicts it, okay, so even the fact that he wore armor ostensibly didn't save him. Mm. But the fact that he must have worn armor means that there is at least a logical possibility that he survived yeah. the sea. So there mm. is room for him to have become Mr. White if one, one wanted to go down that road. And mm. in point of fact, in chapter 24, there is a moment where Thomas is talking about looking at the new armor that Harry made him without mm. going into the specifics and the fact that when white appears that he's wearing this very elaborate getup that a lot of mm. descriptions to, And there is in fact, even a picture of in the Arlington novel at the very least, that's one of the things that is part of the reason why the novel actually includes aspects that the audio drama could not because it includes all of the concept artwork that Antonio and now others have created for these stories and allows people to see it in an easy way that they might have to go out of their way to do uh, if they were listening to the audio drama either all at once or even on the audio drama feed and everything like that. Mm. So it sets up the armor. White is wearing the armor. And the armor was designed for Thomas, so... It would fit him, at least. On top of Mm. that, we talked about the training in combat with Lee, and since White appears to have combat training once more, that is a natural, oh, okay, so he would be able to be this Batman-like figure with proper sword Mm. and training and everything like that. The fact that uh, White is throwing knives, much like uh, Lee uses in her personal fighting style and everything like that, That's another clue. You also went on to point out that the name White is a name for uh, a mythical creature that uh, is actually uh, an undead, a resurrected corpse. The Norse refer to it as the Draugr, which is a concept that shows up specifically in Skyrim, of all places. This fits all too well, we now know, with not just what he lost because of sarah dying but because of the physical trauma that we see that he suffered during that flashback scene in stone spring maidens where Mm. his face is damaged and there is even a almost joker-like or two-face-like aspect to him um which uh is further culminated in some of the phantom of the opera aspects you talked Mm -hmm. about Back when we covered Stone Spring Maidens, there's the final line in Arlington where White is speaking of children, much the same as Thomas's own characterization of the American people. That's another hint. And then finally, there's that conversation that we ended up happening that I had to put behind spoiler tags about the similarities between Thomas and Bruce Wayne slash Batman. In case you've already forgotten that conversation, the TLDR is that we were noticing how many of the antagonists in Arlington were dark reflections of Thomas, much the same as Batman's rogues gallery. Because that conversation was a potential spoiler for the reveal of Mr. White, we had it removed from the episode proper and put after the outro. But if you want to revisit it, You can find the full conversation at the tail end of episode 26B at 43 minutes and 29 seconds. All these little nuggets put together, it makes one wonder at all how, like there's too much evidence in terms Hmm. of Thomas being Mr. White. If Alex had wanted to imply that truth could be mr white then he would have had to have put down at least a few more Mm. hints that it could be possible i'm not saying that that couldn't have been an interesting twist or anything like that i'm just saying that considering all the supplemental material that make Mm. it obvious in hindsight there wasn't nearly enough of that that could have been a proper red herring towards truth.
2: I mean, there's so many other things as well, like things that aren't necessarily in sort of plot reasons for why like the logistics of it works, but more sort of things that add to the thematics of it is how the night before the address when Mm. Sarah and Thomas are talking after... They're in bed together, and um, they've just had like I don't know, like oh, five a lot rounds. Of sex. Yeah, yeah, a lot of sex, basically. <laughs> There's just things that are aspects of that conversation and other conversations besides, which really do kind of carry this weight. If when you're reading this or rereading it, either with the knowledge that Thomas is white, or with the supposition that he becomes white, that really makes sense. Mm-hmm. Where like Sarah saying that doing the public address will be hard and hurt like hell. But specifically, she says, it might scare the life out of you. Mm, And that is mm. absolutely what happens when he becomes a white. Things like that. And also just in terms of the presentation of the audio drama, the moment where the penny dropped for me, the first time I was listening, and I actually thought, this is Thomas, is in the final moments of the audio drama, you hear a little bit of thomas's voice come through and mm. you start to go like wait is like is the audio actually changing am i hearing more of thomas's voice underneath the mask i think that alex deliberately sort of plays with that a bit mm. at different times. We've talked about how when we were sort of speculating on how Stone Spring will be adapted, there mm. were certain lines that I said, I think that this will be one of those moments where you hear Thomas's voice come through. Mm-hmm. And that absolutely was the case in the final version of some of those chapters.
0: Bear in mind, we're not throwing rocks here. Alex knew what he was doing when he seeded all these little breadcrumbs in. We bring this up now because the details are fresh after reading Arlington, and when you put it all together, it feels like what some might call an orgy of evidence. But we also have the benefit of having a chance to focus on this part of the story. Alex can definitely hang me by a gibbet with all the things I didn't notice in some of the books he's written over the years. But as Toby is about to get into, the mystery of who Mr. White is isn't the most important part of the story. The
2: thing with all of this, which I felt it at the time, and I've always felt it since, whether or not this is the case, it it does not matter. It's just kind of like my reading of it. It's never felt like the mystery of who is Mr. White is something that we, the reader, ought to be like sort of too befuddled over. It feels as if, It ought to be a foregone conclusion That this Mm. is the case There's so much evidence This book being Arlington And the final moments of it being Almost like the last words of Thomas Arlington As he enters Mm. this second life of his This life after death It just sort of all fits together so well Like To me, something being like this sort of twist or something that like you can see coming that doesn't devalue it as a storytelling decision if something feels like this is the right course for a character and the story to take then that doesn't mean that you change it in order to like sort of swerve against the expectation because then you're just going against what the story has been structured with that in mind with you
0: have to keep it true to its thematic roots, and exactly, like that. you can't I'm- have it be beholden. Because this is the conversation and the argument that comes up every time in terms of JJ Abrams' love of the mystery box, and so therefore feeling like he needs to continue keeping the mystery box alive. Alex doesn't care about the mystery box. The mystery mm. is important because it's thematic, mm. not only to Thomas but to other people's reactions to him and what it means exactly. that he is secretly Mr. White this whole time and how hmm. that affects the larger story. But exactly. the mystery itself isn't... The, the Keeping the mystery from the audience isn't the important thing.
2: That's exactly what I was about to say, is that the story beat of Mr. White is not a like who's who. Is it... Like, Catherine, is it Truth, is it Carl, is it the nag, (laughs) all of that stuff It's about when will this come out, that Mm -hmm. this is the case And what will certain characters' reactions to it be What will Truth and Harry think about this, because they've been mourning their Mm -hmm. parents And for their father to be alive and doing this terrible work, and Mm -hmm. then when you get through Steamheart and you're like, what the fuck? What did Mr. White do? And if we're right with a supposition that we're pretty certain about, how could he do that to Harry? A question that it remains unanswered until a heartbreaking moment in Stone Spring Maidens. But like that is the point of it. Essentially, like it's being kept in armor because the truth of who it is doing this coming out into the light of day is probably just too much to confront as we see when Harry finally takes the mask off and confirms exactly who it is. So with that in mind, I remember feeling so mind racing when I finished Arlington for the first time, absolutely certain that Mr. White was Thomas Arlington. I was absolutely certain it was and even so, I was so, like, I needed to know where, like, all of it was heading. So, yeah, it's it's a great uh, ending. It's a great development, and it does not need some sort of pulling the wool over your eyes for it to succeed. It succeeds
0: without any of that being necessary. One of the things I feel like I want to include now when we do our interview And something that we should very likely talk about when we eventually talk about Stone String Maidens, which unfortunately is going to be far in the future, Mm -hmm. is that Stone String Maidens naturally focuses on Harry because it's a romance that she is one of the participants of. And because it's also about her recovery after what happened at Green Hollow and therefore what White allowed to happen to Harry that she needs to recover from and everything like that. Mm. But perhaps one of the more frustrating aspects of Stone Spring Maidens and something that I, it would be interesting if a future installment reflected on it is the fact that Perry manages a resolution with the fact that her father was Mr. White and that he managed to come back to himself in some small way, at the resolution of that story. But Truth never has that same kind of catharsis. She is leading Mm. troops to find him and bring him down in the same sort of adversarial way that has always been reflected in their relationship, even when he was alive and being a part of her life. She doesn't get to see him before he disappears. And that means that she is always going to be carrying something around with her unresolved. I mean, mm. and, and and yet it's also thematically significant in terms of the way there was a lack of resolution when he first died, so to speak, in this story. And it just makes me think about what that means for her as a character, that kind of frustration. It makes me wonder when or if there is a future discussion of what happens to Thomas after this, Mm -hmm. whether truth will have to end up managing without that resolution or whether she might eventually go in search of him and demand it from him, demand the same kind of recognition of her that she didn't get enough of in her life. The Mm. way that he doted on Harry because of her special needs and everything like
2: that. Mm. That he, when he was Thomas, always made her job more difficult. Always made their
0: relationship more difficult. Yeah.
2: And then after his death, when she mourned him and basically thought of him, the best parts of him came to her mind, and everything that she loved in him and about him was there. And then he comes back as a person who does exactly the same, but even worse, mm-hmm. he is against her. To have that confirmed is a death of everything, not just of what Thomas accomplished like as a public figure, but what her father was to her. It's a like death of the best things about him and an intensifying of the worst parts about him to her. The things that always infuriated her Mm -hmm. that now he seems to have doubled down on. That really does feel like maybe she deserves that to be resolved.
0: Or maybe the resolution is that This relationship has become so toxic that the only way that she can move on is to excise that part of herself and find a way to define herself outside of her relationship. The fact that Thomas has complex relationships with both of his daughters does bear some resonance once more to the West Wing. Put a penny in the jar. President Bartlett has three daughters. Who are all very different from each other, some of them more likely to come in conflict with their father, but often over different issues. For those of you that are curious, we do ask Theo about what she thinks about the true state of mind at the end of Stone Spring Maidens, and you'll get to hear her response in a few short weeks when we do the post Stone Spring Maidens interviews. At the very least, I think the most important
2: connection that she has around is harry and mm. harry is still around for her there is a character in the netflix castlevania that comes to mind and like the way things are left off which is the sort of Alucard card with his father dracula and <laughs> like the place that he is left in after his father's death and just kind of the to say more would give away spoilers for that but mm-hmm. basically just There are moments of that show and certain lines the characters say Which make me think of how it might be good for Truth to maybe have that certain distance And Mm. not for her father and all the complications That as much as there may be some good that comes from reuniting Maybe for now that's not what is needed
0: Yeah, Not right now well taking into mind this dark knight, or in this case, mm. white knight, but only like visually speaking, that mm. Thomas became when he put on the armor and became white. The big question that I had for you was mm. could Thomas's choice Yeah, exactly. Well I, 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 I hope I certainly hope so when I asked it, but <laughs> could Thomas's choice to become white have ever been a good one and only went wrong because of certain choices he made along the way, the way, as you say, he doubled down on his belief and behavior upon donning the armor, or was the decision doomed from the start? Because he was unbalanced because of Sarah's absence and all the more set in listening to no one besides his own conscience. was he never going to be able to make good decisions.
2: I think White was a terrible choice to see through, which nevertheless yielded some welcome results. We have seen what the continuing presence of men like Fisher, Roach, and Van Tassel can result in, and White taking a hand to them, well, I don't know if it can truthfully be described as necessary, but It is nevertheless a cold comfort to have them no longer be here and be active participants in what is to follow. But it can only ever have been a ruinous path to walk that that was prone to tunnel vision and mistakes being made that had the worst of consequences. Thomas becoming white is Thomas sealing himself away from the world inside a suit of armour. He has lost the most valued connection and the most convincing voice of empathy in his life so he has chosen to close himself off from all connection physical and emotional and yes all empathy that is inherently tragic but it is also inherently not a good idea when what you are warring against are those who choose to ignore empathy, those you could describe as unfeeling monsters. That adage of, in order to fight monsters, we had to become monsters, is one that seems to make a terrible sort of sense on paper in some fictional context. But in practice, all it can ever really lead to is closing off parts of yourself to get the task done. But the problem is that on a long enough time scale, you're really going to need those parts of yourself that you've closed off in order to make the right decisions when it's time for them.
0: Mm. It's part of what makes the similarity towards Batman an intriguing comparison. But as someone that has read a number of Batman stories along the course of my life, Mm. there is a common thread which is that Batman tends to pull people into his orbit to be his replacement family, whether it's the various people that have become Robin, to the various people that have become Batgirl, to Alfred, Commissioner Gordon. And the worst parts of Batman's life always tend to come when he starts rejecting their good advice. When he starts trying to cut them out and be the darkest part of what batman represents as opposed to the positive outside influence that can simply come from a different perspective a perspective that is not tainted in the same way by what bruce went through as a child that made him into batman Thomas, as white, doesn't have a huge family to turn to. He has only Lee, as is Mm. seen in Stone Spring Maidens. And the problem with Lee is that she is not on the same level as as an Alfred or a Robin or a Barbara Gordon. She Mm. is too much like him. She herself is walking wounded. Therefore, it takes her longer because of her loyalty to realize what is happening to Thomas, that he is going down a path that is not good for him and is not good for his goals. Mm. And is part of the tragedy that we'll get to talk about when we dive into Stone Spring Maidens and everything like that.
2: You certainly need those moments of Alfred where he is lending perspective on things. Mm-hmm. And one of the best panels that I think a lot of people like to reference is there's a moment when Jim Gordon is shot and he's like in hospital and everything like that. And Batman is just feeling this anger, and he's saying, if anything happens to him, i'll I'll and Alfred just says you'll do what sir? Dress up like a creature of the night to stalk the streets of Gotham? Like and it's just most the sassy put down ever of just like (laughs) you know like what more will you do than this and I think that with Lee as we've seen in that moment just following the moment when as white he did the most terrible thing which was the consequence of his daughter losing her ability to walk and as a result of his actions and when he felt the most doubt and shame of what he was Lee was there as a comfort as someone to just
0: literally prevent him from killing himself as well Exactly. Uh, uh, right.
2: Yeah, it's not just that's putting it uh, that way is like a real sort of understatement. But I think that the problem is that she doesn't challenge until mm. like, it gets to it's a point where, late.
0: yeah,
2: yeah. And even by the end of it, she doesn't necessarily challenge him. It's just, I have seen what this is and I can't stay with you anymore. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like all like the only thing that that does is that Thomas says like please don't leave me alone in this place mm-hmm. and it doesn't make it worse it just essentially what she provided was not like like a punch to the face to try and knock him out of that dark place it was just companionship while he was
0: there mm-hmm she left for a couple mm. of reasons and again that will mm. be something to discuss when the time comes but mm. my point is, is that she was i don't want to say that she was a poor replacement for sarah because that feels like it cast aspersions on her value but she was mm. not what she was he, not equipped no she was not equipped to give him what he really needed in that mm. moment she was mm. only able to be what she always was to him, which was mm. a loyal soldier, a loyal right hand mm. man, the person that he could trust when he could trust nobody else. There is value
2: there. Like, she mm. is important, and I don't want to undersell what Lee brings. The problem is when that's all you rely on, mm-hmm. that can't be your only connection left
0: but that's the thing is that his focus on that point is only on the work. Mm. It's not about living and Mm. living was what Sarah was always Mm. about. You can see that in the things that she cares about that are separate from what Thomas cares about, how she understood the need for woman that taught ballet as an outlet for women about mm. needs of self-expression and mm. something to help with morale and everything like that. Mm. And you can definitely see that in her final entry into this book about when she talks about how important intimacy is, how important the release of orgasm is. That is mm. very deliberately an affirmation of life. And that is what she was always behind 100%. Whereas Mm. Thomas was always focused on, this is the thing that we need to fix. Mm. He doesn't have, he is literally the white, he doesn't have a reason to live anymore. He only has a reason to exist. Yeah. Alex loves to talk about how frustrating the trope of my dead family is when it gets overused and used badly in so much media out there. But as I was editing these final episodes, it occurred to me that Alex uses elements of that trope in this story, both subverting it and playing it straight. Thomas first loses his son to the Wendigo, but, like Bruce Wayne, he uses that to fuel what comes next, to protect humanity. It doesn't become the excuse to do horrible things, though one can certainly also argue that wiping out another species isn't the best even if the Wendigo do pose an existential threat. Then it's played more straight when Sarah is killed by bigoted humans and his focus shifts. He becomes darker, less controlled, more brutal. The biggest subversion is when that very behavior nearly costs the life of Harry, because My Did Family is an outside force harming the protagonist's family, not usually caused by the deliberate actions of the protagonist himself. Every time, he loses more of himself, becomes more dead inside, until the embers of who he was are rekindled at the eleventh hour. That's the width and breadth of what we will cover with White this time around. Next up is Seth, and once more, in order to avoid being spoiled, you'll have had to read through Steamheart and Nightfall of the Wendigo. I know that means the number of people that will be able to enjoy this last part will be much smaller, but on the other hand, it's a great book, and you absolutely should read it. Don't just wait for the audio drama. That's a long way off at this rate. Don't you want to be one of the cool kids? I tease, but you know, I want me and Toby's big thinky bits to be enjoyed as well. So after the jump, let's get into it.
1: The stars will cry, the blackest tears tonight, and this is the moment that I live for. I can smell the ocean air, here I am, pouring my heart onto these roots.
0: Now we need to talk a little bit about our second player the theme that i wanted to discuss was how later books start to humanize seth more we talked a lot about the different depictions of seth in terms of being a self-styled god or being a representation of the Earth saying, you fucked up, or just being thematically important rather than specifically an antagonist with individuality and beliefs and everything like that. Mm. But the characterization in terms of the confrontation in Steamheart and then... The additional behind the scenes stuff we get to see for the first time in terms of the offer that he makes to Hrau, his relationship with Yagana, and then finally his tragic fate as befalls in Nightfall of the Wendigo. We see him as someone that has lost, and not just lost, but also given up a lot. In pursuit of this purpose, guiding the Wendigo, so to speak, the thing that actually matters to him. And there is so much that we will never know now that he is dead and his story is ostensibly done. But even if he weren't dead, it seems clear from what we learn in Steamheart and Nightfall that he has given up memories in order to gain the power that he wanted. And that so to a certain extent, who he was is lost even to him, thanks to those deals he made with the But I wanted to start talking about this because I had new thoughts to propose to you
2: mm-hmm. based
0: on all this, inf- this side information that we were not able to reveal as a part of the discussion of the story of Arlington itself. And the first question I wanted to ask of you is how much of what he did was him and how much was a result of Yagana? We now have a better indication of how she manipulates things behind the scenes. And I'm wondering if his seeming conviction and purpose as depicted throughout his characterization, but especially here, was always born of a desperation that Yagana took advantage of, and that his seeming arrogance and superiority over humanity was a thin facade, that he was never actually like Khan, but just, like, pretending to be like Khan.
2: My impulse is to give the noncommittal answer of, it's difficult to say. After all, the best kind of magic or trick to pull, or the way to convince someone to do something that is in your best interest, is to take advantage of a belief that is already there, or a willingness to believe the truth within the lie. Mm. It could very well be that all of this is part of Yagana's machinations and she is playing some kind of multi-dimensional game of chess, with Seth being one of her more versatile and destructive pieces. But, even as that is the case, Seth may have had the motivation and will to pit himself against humanity. It certainly seems as if Seth has enough of himself left to be able to make his own choices, even if they are in response to Yagana offering an exchange. I get the impression that Seth is not on autopilot. He can only do what he does if he has a will behind his powers, whether they are innate or else given to him by Yagana.
0: Obviously, I feel like I'm going to have to give this a lot more thought, and we are going to have to give it a lot more conversation before Mm. we can really unpack what it means that Seth no longer remembers his past, where he came from, but still remembers that he has a goal that is born of some need and he doesn't even remember the background to that need anymore. He just knows that he has it. It makes me feel a little bit like what Leonard Shelby was going through in Memento in terms of all he has is his goal and he doesn't even remember why it was so important to him once upon a time there's a deep tragedy behind that in terms of giving up so much of yourself it makes me (laughs) uh it makes me dislike yagana even more even if Mm. she had a reason for what she did that we may find out down the road was in the best interest but That's going to be part of our ongoing discussion of Yagana and is not really, there isn't really a place for it right here. And it also doesn't change the fact that, regardless of the fact that Seth might have been taken advantage of, he still made the choices he did. There is much darkness and things Mm. that are hard to forgive when I think about Mm. how he treated Annie and the farmer and his wife mm. to such an extent that I was characterizing him at one point as being akin to a serial killer as someone that that thinks a lot about things and worries a lot about things and wants to make sure that I give people and circumstances every consideration rather than finally making up my mind about something Seth is definitely one of those people that causes a lot of consternation in me, even as I can directly say that certain things they did should not be forgotten. You should never forget the harm that somebody else has done. If you're going to forgive them, then it has to be an informed forgiveness. It has to be from someone that understands that they've screwed up, And wants to try and make up for the evils they have done before they deserve it. And in some cases, you know, if we look at something like BoJack Horseman, sometimes they have to learn to live without that forgiveness, even if they are willing to make themselves better as a result.
2: Mm. It's funny, I was just thinking today of uh, one of the formative moments of that show, which is in the first season, when
0: his old friend, who mm. I forget the name of the character... That would be Herb Kazaz, played by the always excellent Stanley Tucci.
2: A masterfully delivered scene where mm-hmm. Bojack, after a visit that seemed to go like pretty well on the surface, and he goes back because he has to tell him i'm sorry and Mm -hmm.
0: the character says so you're apologizing yes i'm sorry okay i don't forgive you herb i said i'm sorry yeah
1: and i do not forgive you
0: uh not sure you get what's happening here this could be the last time that no i'm not gonna give you closure
1: you don't get that you have to live with the shitty thing you did for the rest of your life you have to know that it's never ever going to be okay
2: that's in the first season Mm -hmm. and the rest of the show is like still there to show that like there is more to do that that is not the final word but that that is a hard blow even with oh so many seasons left. I don't know why that scene came into my head today. Maybe it was a premonition of our conversation today, but it just kind of uh, it fits. Brains
0: are funny. Brains mm-hmm. are funny. And I mean, this this sort of thing happens to me all the time, where a neuron gets sparked and I suddenly remember something. And mm. maybe it's relevant and maybe it's not. I mean, maybe the reason I remembered it has nothing to do with whatever comes later that makes me feel like there's a synchronistic meaning to it but it certainly helps that um stanley tucci's performance as herb kazazz is very powerful and memorable Mm. in that way it feels like one of those performances that will stick out in the brain uh Mm. and therefore will raise it just like I mean, what's important to individual people will always be different. But in this particular circumstance, some things are done so well that they are more likely to stick in our consciousness than other things. And great Mm. performances can be like that. Great Mm. lines can be like that. Great Mm. characterization is something that Mm. can become relevant. Again and again, as we move through our lives, as we take that and make it a part of ourselves, in terms of learning from it, and New Century's got plenty of that, by the <laughs> barrelful. <laughs> I pondered at one point if there was a through line between the way Thomas's story comes to a close in Stone Spring Maidens, and the way Seth's story comes to a close in Nightfall of the Wendigo. Obviously, the two people are very different. The crimes of one cannot be compared to the other any more than they are the same kind of person. They may have some similarities, although we can never be sure of that. Thomas's life has been an open book, after all, and Seth's is quite the opposite. But in both cases, the monster needed to die. It's just in Thomas's case, the monster was symbolic. It might even be that for Seth, what was good in him died long ago, and what was left was more of a twisted reflection of who he once was, like Mr. Hyde was of Jekyll. But that's a thread to follow at another time. Before we wrap up, I brought up the idea of Seth responding to... Thomas, and a potential father-son related conflict. One of the things that I alluded to when I wrote the editorial insert is that there was a moment in a later book, which I felt might have led credence to that assertion that I couldn't talk about. And that was, first of all, that we find out Seth apparently does have a telepathic gift. Because Mm -hmm. the text implies at a certain point, that whatever it is that is inside him that allows him to communicate with the Wendigo passes into Sana, Mm. makes her own gift stronger. We talked about during this book itself, is he telepathic or is he just really good at reading body language and pheromones and other things um, that makes it seem like he's telepathic? Now it seems like he may well be, as a result of Nightfall of the Wendigo. And given that, the moment where James is giving this memory back to Seth of the gray baby and the fact that he had to be delivered C-section and the feelings associated with all of this, I started to wonder, was there a point in Seth's life where he actually had a wife? and a child, and was this his memory? Or was this a memory that Seth had because he was born with telepathy, and therefore he was remembering a time when he was born, and the memory was his father's, and his father didn't immediately reject him just because he looked different that he actually had protective impulses, as fathers do for their child, and that mm. he somehow wanted to keep that safe. It might have been one of the last things that he gave to Yagana in payment. I did go back to Steamheart and have confirmed that based on the visuals and colors, the memory that Yagana took from him to save Rao was very likely this memory. But that still doesn't mean that the memory originated with Seth. I don't know what the answer to that is. I got—I have to mm. feel like it's a little bit too coherent. If it is in fact a, a baby manager yeah. to capture his father's memory, you would but expect it's... it
2: to be more elemental, like yeah. just rather than like specific details. It's a flurry of just feelings.
0: Yeah. But on the other hand, the memory is primarily just the events and the feelings associated with it. There's no mm. word related thoughts that are
2: associated
0: mm. with it. Mm. So it honestly could go either way. I, 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 like, I feel like I like either certain-
2: possibility, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that they both have, like, there's a poignancy to either scenario. Mm-hmm.
0: But it also makes one wonder. At what point did Seth actually have someone else in his life? What happened to his child? And Mm. does that connect him more thoroughly to Thomas's experience or not, if that is the case, if he Mm. lost the same way that Thomas lost? There is a notable instance of something similar like this happening in the Marvel Comics storylines of Planet Hulk and World War Hulk. The backstory in that case is that Hulk had been sent off into space never to return, as part of a conspiracy of a bunch of notable Marvel heroes to remove him as a threat to Earth. Having been betrayed this way, the Hulk found a new world to reside on, where he could make a home for himself and eventually found a significant other who bore a child with him. Then his home was attacked, leaving his wife and child dead. Believing that those same heroes that sent him away did this to him, he brought an alien army to Earth to take it over and bring those same people to justice. If something similar to that happened to Seth, that would account for him now being alone, leading the Wendigo, and desiring to scour humanity from the Earth? Maybe it's just as well we don't know for certain, as this would just be another use of my dead family, but it would also explain why he held on to the memory, and also why he might be willing to give it up.
2: I'm inclined to say it is his memory, rather than his mental reading of someone else's memory. This was the last thing he had left at his core, after everything else had been peeled away by Yagana. So... I would believe it would be a moment of peace and purpose for him, such as the moment his child was born. But honestly, I do think that if it turns out that's not the case, I won't be disappointed or Mm. disapprove. I just think that this is my supposition. But like I said earlier, I think this is a poignant final memory for him to have Mm. at his core, whatever his part in
0: it. May or may not be. The final question I had for you Mm. was that you may recall when we were discussing Seth and the ending of his story during our News of the Century for Nightfall that considering how much he was built up in previous stories, it feels like a weird ending to his story that he was Mm. removed from the arc of it sort of suddenly and that I was feeling disappointed about that when I first read the story. But I've been had a chance to reflect on it more, and I have to wonder if Seth falling from prominence might be related to our discussion about people defining themselves in part by who they are opposed to. What I'm getting at is, when Seth learns that Thomas is dead... Does this mean that he's taken a fundamental blow to his self-image? One could almost look at what happened with Rao as an attempt to find something else to replace that, that he is not simply lonely and therefore desires companionship, but needs something new to define himself in relationship to. A difference mm. in how he defined himself in relationship to Thomas but nonetheless, a connection now that Thomas was gone.
2: Mm. I, I think I'd entirely agree with that, because, I mean, we joked a few episodes back about Seth being like desperately deprived of social interaction with someone who could either be defined as an equal appeal or someone who just challenges him, you know, him wanting to just have a game of chess with someone or like <laughs> things like that. Spirited but defense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only one he seems to have as an option other than selected individuals from his opposition, such as Thomas or Harao, would be Yagana. And, I mean, yeah, no, like, no one is that desperate for combat. Well, uh, like, uh, we will get to that, um, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say. so She's certainly not his first choice. Seth requires some form of purpose beyond just the eradication of humanity I think and with Thomas he, he did say that we will not like meet again but it's one of those things of like this was like to be his final interaction with humanity mm-hmm. and with this being off the board it's sort of like that's just one more thing that he's lost after a lifetime of things mm-hmm. that he's given up in order to achieve his goal so even if it comes from a place of opposition, he needs just some sort of connection just to hold on to what he is. And Mm -hmm. given what we've talked about with how his confrontation with Thomas at the end of this is like a form of self-assertion, I think that fits even more when we consider just how much he has given up in order to like achieve his goals that he doesn't, he probably doesn't remember all that much. Like mm. at this point, even before he's given up like the that final memory, it's Therefore, just case... the
0: things that he does remember are all the more valuable to him. Yeah. And his so interaction for... with Thomas might even count in that regard.
2: I would, I would say so. So I think he mm. genuinely is a, one of the loneliest characters in new century.
0: Mm. I don't want to get too far into it because mm. but the the way that you brought up Yagana as not being a good source of companionship or mm-hmm. social interaction is because at the very least, Seth could look at Thomas as being something close to an equal and could very possibly look at Harau as being something close to an equal, which is part of the reason why he was fascinated with her to begin with. Um, Mm. If we go along the lines of him being narcissistic, I say close to an equal in that he wants something potentially that can still be a reflection of him. Something Mm. he feels comfortable with because he sees something in them that is similar Mm. to what he likes about himself. But, adding to the narcissism yeah, angle exactly. that we've talked about, yeah. But it's hard to be narcissistic around Yagana, who so clearly outclasses him in every regard. Even he yeah. is afraid of her, and mm. very
2: likely rightly so. Well, what we've talked about with Yagana every time that we bring her up is that she's someone who takes. She is defined by what she, her main action is taking Mm. from others and with seth so much of him is about establishing not necessarily like he is not necessarily eradicating humanity in order to take what is theirs he is just essentially positioning it as this is the order of things any that are converted to wendigos through this process i am Giving them a better way of existing Mm. Mm -hmm. So this like, He does not really view it Or is defined as this Individual who takes But what Yagana Essentially creates is She's a black hole That if he stays Mm. close to For too long Then what he has That he is fighting hard for Will just Drain away
0: that's a great insight, actually, that he, the idea that if Yagana's nature is essentially the dealmaker, they're like, mm. what, what, what new deal do you want to make today? That he needs to separate himself from her to prevent any more of himself be taken by her. Mm. Although mm. the irony is that at the end of his story, everything has been taken from him, mm. even his life yeah um, and he, she may not have killed him but she definitely sets things up so that he dies
2: well his death becomes another bargaining chip in her next deal mm. that is yeah. essentially what happens is he does what he can to
0: ensure like, the when uh, survive
2: yeah and he sort of dies on his terms but that still doesn't mean that like Some of that isn't taken by Yagana for her purposes. That's why whenever she shows up, there is a sourness. I feel like Yagana's flavor, as much as she is positioned to be this sort of like disarmingly, terribly beautiful uh, Mm. character, I think the sensation I would best describe is the taste of sour tar like that is what i would describe like what the air feels like when you're in the room with her interesting mm.
0: as in is it as of interest and that is mm. that is a thought that i'm going to oh, take no. with me and... at the oh, end oh, but... of the show we summoned the alex man <laughs> oh dear well i mean i said it instead but mm-hmm. <laughs> to be perfectly honest the thing that I actually picture at this point is not Alex appearing from the mirror, or anything like that, but just like that. I'm going to peek over at the mirror and just see Alex with like fingers steepled on the other side being like, I know what you said. I'm going to forgive it for now because I like what you do with my, uh, I like everything you say about my chosen world here, but uh, don't think that I didn't notice. (laughs)
2: Nah, in my mind, it just springs out from the mm. microphone. like.
1: <laughs> Say what again? Say what again? I dare you! I double dare you, motherfucker! Say what one more goddamn
0: time!
2: It is late, and I am getting, I think, delirious.
0: <laughs> yeah. This has been amazing. Mm. Like, this, this conversation, as long as it has gone on, is everything that I could have hoped for for a final conversation about Arlington, including discussion on everything that's come before, allowing us to talk about some of the stuff that we're not going to be able to talk about for a very long time. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, Mm. So it allows me to externalize some of the additional thoughts that we have not been Mm. able to discuss in some of our previous works. It's a treat at the end of a long road, I Mm. think. In in the spirit
2: of what this started with in at least this second part of this fourth season of ours where I did that intro and Mm -hmm. talked about that like I have faith that it will be for the better for reaching its conclusion. Mm. And I still feel that. I feel like if I was to sum up Arlington which I want to before we finish is that it is a book that like sort of shatters me each time Mm. I get to its conclusion, but there's always something left underneath it that feels like worry for the future, but an underlying strength, a certainty that strength survives tragedy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have nothing further to say except to say to the audience thank you for coming on this journey with us we have many more journeys to take many more conclusions to come to we have good times ahead of us and hard times ahead of us we don't entirely know where this journey is going to take us but we're very happy for having taken it we are very happy to have brought something mind expanding and emotional, something that might in some way help other people as they process the stories of New Century, the stories of the world, their own personal stories, and go back into their world enriched and made better by having our creation through the window in their life. That is the hope, at the very least. That is the hope of every creator to make something that makes a difference to other people. It's enough if we have entertained you, but we definitely hope that we can manage to do more than that. So, from all of us here at Through the Wind Door, we bid you a good evening and a peaceful rest before we take our next trip Through the Wind Door. See you in season five. To close us out, a poetic piece of music from one of my favorite artists of the 90s. Until next time, this is C with prayer for the dying.
1: Lesson Supreme.